With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast, featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray, and we've got a lot to talk about this week. We've got a lot of tennis happening around the world, a lot of tennis-related news that's become global headlines. But first, let's talk about Alexander Zverev winning his second year-end championships. We saw him this year have some his, the most consistent results he's ever had in Grand Slams, and now finishing the year where he proves to be the top dog where only the best of the best are present. Uh, congratulations to Alex. Who knows? Next year, we can finally see him get that Grand Slam title. Uh, it all starts with some consistent results of going deep in slams, which he did this year, and then now playing a year in and coming out, I think he's positioning himself well to have a, his best season yet. And in Guadalajara, we saw the best woman in the WTA Tour show up to an action-packed Grand Slam atmosphere in Guadalajara. It was so great to see all the fans come out and see probably the best tennis crowd we've seen all year. And we saw, honestly, the best player of the second half of the season, Darby and Muguruza, rise to the top. Uh, we saw her have a good deep run at the U.S. Open with the a, with a, with a loss there with some questionable medical timeouts and injury timeouts that probably sort of uh, ended her run sooner than it should have. We saw her win a title at the 500. And then we saw her lose the first round against Carolina Pliskova and end up coming out on top at the end of the day uh, holding the trophy. So congratulations to Carbinia. I don't think there's any surprise in seeing her uh, emerge and hold that trophy at the end. And our first guest is somebody that's very familiar to me. It's a player that I've watched hit tennis ball since she was 10 years old, always knew she had world-class talent. But again, in big cities like Chicago, one wrong turn, one wrong move can really stunt your growth and end your career. Uh, and I think that Caroline Dohide, who we're going to sit down and chat with now, is an example of staying with one coach in one situation her entire junior career before she was raised to sort of expand her wings and turn pro. Um, but I'm happy to see her has some a lot of success on the double side uh, so far. And then now starting to show some consistent results um, on the single side. So Caroline and I sit down and we talk, we reminisce about some Chicago days, uh, what went right, what could have went wrong, and a trap that a lot of people fall into uh, growing up in big cities uh, with a bunch of tennis clubs and a bunch of kids. Take a listen. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and today we have a Chicago legend. Yes, thank you. Caroline Dohai. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, I watched you play tennis since you were like seven years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and always proud of your success. But tell me how it is being one of three girls living in, like when you first started, Courtney was like the superstar. Yeah, yeah. And you had to like follow it up. Uh-huh. And you rose to the occasion and went Thanks. past it. Yeah. And then talk about the pressure that Stephanie has now, right? Because theoretically she should have learned from both of you guys. So tell me about what it is like 
to live in the shadow of your sister and then. For sure. So I played a lot of sports growing up, um, but when Courtney took on tennis and started doing very, very well in tennis, I was like, okay, I'm gonna drop everything else and I'm gonna start really trying and competing in tennis. Competing hard to not only like push past the level that she reached, but to kind of follow in her footsteps. So um, I was on track to go to UCLA just like her. And then I made the decision to go pro. Um, so I took that a little bit more seriously. And then from there, I just um, trained harder, trained smarter. And having her as a role model was great growing up. I mean, she always was all honors this, like <laughs> past everything. So uh, it was really nice to have such a great leader in our family to look up to. And I mean, that started from my parents, so I'm really lucky. Um, and then Stephanie following it up, that, that's a tough, tough one because yeah. I, I went pro. So like, it's really hard to follow that in tennis, but she did something that is incredible and she's at West Point, like you know. Mm -hmm. um, and she's a senior there doing really well, playing for their tennis team. Mm -hmm. And they have a great team there. So yeah, all the girls in my family are doing well. Yeah. So, you, so is my brother, by the way. My know, brother's the golf, doing the great. Star, right? he's, he's a, yeah, he's at Baylor University, assistant coach. So he's he's doing well too in athletics. So. I don't blame him. He's, he's the boy. He was like, yeah, y'all can have this. He was my mom's ago. favorite. So. Oh, I was one of four, okay. and it's funny. We have that same debate on who was the favorite. Oh, really? So I'm number three. Oh. You're number three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm number three in the family, and I always say I was like the invisible middle, oh, who had to like find my own way. Yeah. I wasn't the smartest, I wasn't the tallest, I wasn't the shortest. But did you have like two girls, two boys? Or? Two girls, two boys. Okay, so, but Brian's the only boy, so it's like, oh, my mom. My mom's favorite, for sure. Oh my yes, God, yeah. right. Y'all gonna have that debate over Thanksgiving. Yeah, I guess so. So, you and Steph, you and Courtney were like on the same trajectory, looking at the same school. Yeah. How did you decide to skip college? Like, what was, was there a tournament? Was there yeah. uh, a company? or an agent that was like, hey, you can make it. What made you go left? Yeah, it was more of a personal decision and just, I was training very, very hard. I was at the USTA in Orlando and I was just working so hard day in, day out with my coach, Steven. And he was gonna, he told me when we started when I was 17 that when the day comes, he's gonna tell me honestly what he thinks about my game. And he told me that he thought that I could make it and he saw a great future in professional tennis with me. And I thought about it and I thought about it. And then one day I just woke up and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do this. And I was so committed. Like I called my mom, I was like, mom, I'm going pro. Like I'm training so hard. Like I'm, I'm working hard. I have everything set here. And my mom was like, hold up, what? Like, cause my, everyone's going to college. Like my family, everyone at my school, we all go to college. We don't go pro, you know? Right. So I was like, mom, like I'm going pro. Like I have a feeling it was like deep down and I just committed to it. And then she say, well, how are you going to pay for it? I mean, like, who's yeah. going to pay for that? No, yeah. it was all those questions that a normal parent would have. Yeah. She called me back like 15 times, but, <laughs> um, but it worked out and, and she backed me in the end and so did everyone else in my family. So I have a lot of support. Very cool. So your mom is one of the famous tennis moms who's like got this quiet disposition. Yeah. But you look around and she's sort of like always there. Uh -huh. Pretending to be on her phone, but she's really like ear hustling, listening, watching the match. <laughs> she hustles. She works. So yeah. she's always she's always there just for a face that I can see whenever I like have her come to a tournament. But she's working, and she's such a hard worker. She works for Cisco, a technology company. So she's on the phone all the time. Um, but she, yeah, she has so much support for me, and I I really love her so much. So you are in like a bunch where it's like a crowded bunch where there's a ton of talent. 
And I think America is like waiting for one of you to break through, like yeah. you, Usue, Haley, yeah. Whitney, yeah. like that group is like the next wave of American players. Yeah. What do you think, like when you look at, you know, the wave of Canadians, right, or some of the French, or some of the Czech players, what do you think your group needs to take the next step? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you do see a lot of Canadian, young Canadians, young, younger Europeans come up. Um, and we have been like stuck between that 100, 200, and we haven't really pushed past that. I think that my move to hire my own coach, hire my own physical trainer was a big first step for me because I was with the USTA for four years. Um, so taking it um, like step by step, I guess, was um, a really good thing to, I guess, start that push. But um, I don't know, our games are all so different. We all come from like so many different places that I think just focusing on our game and what we can do better is, is best, like especially physically. Mm -hmm. Like if we can all physically um, be dominant and, and really commit to our games, I think we can push past that 100 and, and further. So you've had a, a great career, played world team tennis, yeah. doubles finals. You've made enough money now yeah. to make some good purchases. Yeah. So I talked to DC about her purchases, uh -huh. right? You know, things that she regret, things she overspent yeah. on. Tell me about your first big, big to you. Okay, big to me was a house. I bought a house and I look at that as like a very big purchase, but it's also like an investment. So that was a very big purchase. I, and I, I'm so happy I did that because I bought it in 2020 before like all of the real estate and everything like jumped cra like crazy. Mm -hmm. So I was a bit lucky there. Um, I haven't had a regret in any purchases I've made. I don't know, I've been pretty smart so far. No bags, no shoes, no heels. Okay, I have heels, I have Valentino heels, but Same. that's it. That's it's coming it. out. He's like, I haven't had any big purchases. Oh, no, what? No, but that's it, I swear to God, like so far. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I try to be really smart with my money and invest, and I don't know. You do, you do have to celebrate a little bit, but I usually do that with time spent with my family, trips, trips with them, and stuff like that. You sound so responsible. I, I am a little bit too responsible. I know, like so responsible, so boring. I want to hear like, you I know. know what? I was in French Open, and I went into, you know, Gucci, Prada, <laughs> and it just is one person that just had to have it. I'll get, I'll get to that point once I start pushing past that point in singles when I break through there. There, you can interview me, and I'm sure there will be a lot of stories there. I know, I'm gonna come to your house and check that closet. Oh, yeah. You didn't mention these. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're from Chicago, and one of the things I find about Chicago tennis is, there's so many indoor clubs in Chicago, and you feel like every year, the same group of kids just migrates from club to club. Uh -huh. yeah. And because they migrate and stay in the same group, they never like push past. Mm -hmm. When you look back on like your junior career, specifically like, in that period, yeah. trying to like find the right club, the right coach, the right group, sure. get your competitive. What do you look back on? It's like, eh, that was a waste of time. I should have stayed here. What do you What do you take from like the Chicago scene yeah. of like migration? Um, I think that one regret I would say is I stayed in our Midwestern area too long. Um, I wish I could have played a little bit more ITFs or had that experience younger, mm -hmm. just a little bit. Not I'm not not a lot. Um, but I started that when I was like 16, you know, 16, 17. So I kind of wish that I could have done that at like maybe 13, play like a few ITFs and like come back. Uh, I don't know where I would be if I did, but, <laughs> um, but honestly, I think the biggest thing from that is committing to a coach and committing to a club. 
because you have all those players that move around from club to club and they don't have that commitment from the coach. And then they're learning from five different coaches and then their game keeps getting mixed up and mixed around. But I was with Tom Lockhart from when I was five years old to when I was 17. Mm -hmm. So I stuck with him for all that time and that was really good for my game. Mm -hmm. And then there came to a point where he was like, you need to push past this level like go to USDA, where there's professional coaches that you can get the professional training that you need. Well, that's good of him to like. Yeah, no, definitely. Let you go. Definitely, and it was it was hard, but it was definitely something I needed to do. So you've had the opportunity to obviously play a full schedule, uh -huh. right? You know, you got the age limitation when you were younger yeah. and you first started. Um, give me your first, your best Grand Slam, like your favorite Grand Slam. Favorite Grand Slam. Okay, U.S. Open's my favorite Grand Slam. Every American, blah, blah. Yeah, but right. French Open has something in my heart. I don't know what it is. Like, the whole center is so close-knit together. All the people are just kind of, like, integrated through us players, too. You just walk right next to them. Um, the courts are really intimate, uh, and I love clay. I love sliding on the clay. I love when it rains a little bit. Paris is amazing. So, yeah, French Open is top, top, I would say. Top, okay. So... Um, and that's not, that's not a lot. A lot of players don't really say that, but yeah, French Open can be rough. Yeah, you know, you got the, the cigarette weather smoke. And you, you got I the don't. Rain. Yeah, but the cigarette smoke, I haven't seen that in a few years. Well, you're no fans, right? Yeah, like fewer fans. Yeah, so I find like that's true. Sometimes it could be a little claustrophobic going from court to court. And you have all the smoke, and you're literally walking past somebody yeah. in, the, in the middle of their like puff. Yeah. Like, yeah, right in your I face. I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, but like maybe a part of me just misses all that because before COVID, it was like there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I know. So favorite tournament that's not a slam. Favorite stop on tour. Mm -hmm. Favorite city. Not that's not one of the Grand Slam. I would say Indian Wells. Yeah, Indian Wells because the courts are amazing. The facility is incredible. And the food is also really great. The acai bowls are amazing. Uh, I mean, that's like one of my favorite foods at a tournament because it's so easy and you digest it so fast. So good. So I have like a little rapid fire kind of things. And maybe some of these you don't know yet because you're still perfecting your routine. But maybe it's not. All right, so All now. Right. Uh, Wimbledon. OK. Court 18 or court three? Court three. OK. Hotel or Airbnb? Hotel. Bananas or bars? Bananas. Ugh. Yeah. Bananas. You're like the first person to say bananas. Bananas. Bars are, t I don't do bars anymore. Bananas <laughs> are like quick energy. I like it. Okay. Uh, eat in or Wait, go out. Eat in, like eat in your room. Oh, like okay. Uber Eats now, right? Okay, now that we've been yes. stuck in bubbles. Okay. Uber Eats or go to a restaurant with your team? Restaurant. Restaurant with your team. Okay. Um, early practice or sleep in? Early practice. Basket or live ball? Basket. Oh. I love basket. <laughs> Gatorade or Powerade? Gatorade. Here's a good one, since we just played with this Hawkeye. Hawkeye or Real Bounce? Hawkeye. Hawkeye, for sure. Oh, I thought you were talking about like the new company that's out there, because that new company let me Definitely tell you. Definitely no go. <laughs> no go. No, no go. go. No, so live calling. Live. I would want to do live calling. But you know, in Asia, they got the real bounce with a ball like Coles, and you see it from the side, and like, you yeah. like that or Hawkeye? I like that. I like that because I feel like that technology is very accurate. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. see the ball kind of compressed. Yes. It, it okay, felt. so if we're talking that level, yeah. then that. 
Okay. Um, breakfast at Wimbledon or breakfast in Asia? Breakfast at Wimbledon. Really? Yes, 100%. The best meal of the day in Asia is breakfast. I would not agree with that. Oh my goodness, like the only They have their pecking eat. duck. Their pecking duck for like lunch is amazing. In Asia? Yes. I eat like one meal a but day But I've only been to Asia once, so. Okay, so I've been like six times. Okay. So you gotta like yeah. go like five more times. Maybe, yeah. And then you'd be like, you know what? Maybe two right. more times to then realize, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're gonna be starting like eight o'clock and you're like jet lag and awake and like nothing's open. You're gonna be yeah. like, man, I wish. I'm just yeah. thinking. You gotta like carb load and run. Um, so goals, right? Right now you've had tons of success in doubles. Obviously everybody wants to like sort of succeed in singles. Yeah. Um, but like next year, right, you've seen a lot of young players sort of emerge and evolve and probably take a lot of confidence from like, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. I serve big, my forehand's big. What are like your goals for, for the next year? Yeah. Um, one huge one is to start using my forehand um, better, more efficiently because I've been working on my backhand so much that I kind of tend to run around and hit a little bit too many. So that's a big one. Um, and then improving my location of my serve is always a good one, because I have a fast serve, like you know, so location matters just as much. Uh, so I would say those two are huge things. And then from there, um, I think my game's just gonna come together. Yeah. And one more lighthearted question. When you do get the bag, what's gonna be the first thing you buy? All right, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Man, I always keep going to the responsible option, but I'm not gonna be responsible this time. I have to get a bag. I have to get a really nice bag. I would say, I wouldn't say Louis Vuitton. Hold on, give it a sec. Something from Gucci. Let's just say something from Gucci. You can get a Gucci bag with a doubles title. You don't have to wait. Yeah, but like <laughs> the exclusive, like back room stuff. Not like the. Oh, okay. Not okay. like the. I'm gonna go to the counter. I get that. You want that? You want that Paris like make yeah. an appointment? Yes, absolutely. The, see? Absolutely. Yeah. Like back room. Like take me to the back room. Well, you gotta like go with Danielle and Bethany. You know they get that oh, back for room sure. action for all sure. the time. Oh my God, I <laughs> bet they do. Well, thank you, Caroline. Like I said, I, I enjoy watching you play now just thank as much you. as I did when she was like, look at like. That girl got a big, big forehand. She might be something. Thank you. Um, so now, you know, those forehands, when you were 10, they used to hit the curtain. Yeah. Now they like landing yeah, in. Yeah, now they're going in. Now they're going in. I'm like, all right. I took that know. risk when I was a kid, right. and now it's paying off. Oh, you would load up on that thing, and I'd be like, Dunk. Where's it going? Look out for the <laughs> hole in the back curtain. Right? Literally. <laughs> Good time. But always root for you, and congratulations on your success, and keep going. Thanks. Thank When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, we want to welcome to the show a Bayesian legend, Darian King. This is a dude I've had a lot of opportunity to spend a lot of time with traveling, uh, on the road, staying in hotels, uh, practicing. Really good person, really good dude. Uh, always brings a good energy and a good vibe to the tennis court. Keeps it lighthearted. Um, the epitome of an island boy. 
uh, with his swagger, his demeanor. Um, but we talk about what it's like to make it out of a country like the Bahamas, uh, where there's not a lot of tennis pedigree and not a lot of opportunity. Take a listen. All right, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray. We are here with the Bayesian legend, DK, Darian King, my homie. Uh, we spent a lot of time together, hotels, LA, traveling, dinners, sitting, watching girls' matches. <laughs> <laughs> Having a good laugh, man. Welcome to the show, bro. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure being here. So tell us about your journey because you got a real interesting story how you from Barbados moved to Florida um, your brother's obviously been instrumental in your tennis but sort of kind of founding finding your own path I know you spent time with Martin etc tell us about like your tennis journey how you started etc yeah for me a crazy one um, tennis obviously wasn't my first sport growing up um, oh, what'd you play? coming from I'm football footballer you mean soccer, soccer? I got, yeah soccer you guys call it but <laughs> And why we call it football because there's a foot and the ball. I don't know why, why I can make it so. But um, yeah, my first love was football, soccer. And yeah, I gradually eased into tennis. It was just a school thing. They used to bring the tennis into school and I volunteered to go and participate in a tournament. And luckily I won the tournament and that's how my career kind of shot. And I got a, a an offer from the Hilton Tennis Club, uh, Sydney Lopez, one of my first coaches who actually introduced me and stuff to tennis and gave me an offer to come in and practice there. And I was just, uh, talent had it. And, but for me, obviously, as I told you, football is my first love. And results, I can say, is what really brought me through all this, an easy decision for me. Um, playing a couple of tournaments, obviously, in, in the ITF area. Um, Barbados Open, well not Open, but the ITF. I was winning all of these Caribbean tournaments, Jamaica. Uh, so rapidly my ranking went up uh, to 100 quickly just from winning these ITF tournaments. I was number one in Cotet, which is all the Central and South America, just from winning these tournaments. But yeah, crazy journey, meaning uh, the results is what made a, a easy decision for me. Um, I was 14 in the world in ITF. Uh, just from playing these tournaments, as I say, winning doubles with Brandon Burke and stuff, and yeah, and easy, easy decision. I mean, my brother, big part, who played a big major part for me to, to continue to play tennis. My mom and my dad, who is not into tennis, who knows nothing about tennis, so I mean, for me, for Barbados, it's just for me to put, uh, put them on the map in this discipline. Um, Tennis is a tough sport. Expenses is obviously crazy high and stuff. Um, but luckily, I, I used to do well in the ITF and the Cotet people used to help me out to, to assist me to travel um, to, to various countries and to participate. So there's a lot of people I need to thank, obviously. But I, I can't sit down here and tell you a crazy everything. But a lot of people on this journey that I need to shout out for. And, and I'm happy that I'm living the dream right now. I'll tell you, I was in a bar one time, and this dude, you know, he was had that accent. Yeah. I was like, Are you from uh, Barbados? He said, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I was like, oh, you know, one of my homies, Barbados, he played tennis. He said, Darian King. He's legendary, boy, boy. <laughs> I was like, really? He was like, oh, no, he's like a celebrity in yeah, Barbados. And I was like, so is that true? Like, when you go there, is it like, oh, DK is in the building? Uh, trying to be the, 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 the 
just under uh, Conic, just under Rihanna, trying to make my name up there. But Rihanna? I'm, ha I'm happily, <laughs> I'm happily, I will take it. I'm happily hope people uh, see that. Oh, Darian King, just from tennis. I mean, is is a dream. I mean, I'm I'm happy because, as I say, the the sport isn't big. Yeah. So for me to actually project the sport out there to people that know from Barbados and in the Caribbean, now oh, they're tennis players. I mean, I'm happy for that. So at what point did you move to Florida? I would say at age of 18. 18 now, did you get a scholarship? Old. Did like uh, somebody see you play some ITF? Yeah, they just Bill Adams who helped me. Uh, he has an academy there in Miramar and he was trying to get a good group of the Caribbean, the best of the Caribbean, we'll try to call it. Um, he saw the potential in me, spoke to my parents and said, he's like, hey, this guy has great talent. Uh, he needs to, to come in the tennis hub in, in Florida, which is obviously where big tennis is. And he gave me an offer to, to come and practice with the guys. And as I said, results again. When I came over, I started winning the Casellis and all this stuff. And yeah, crazy journey. And he offered, I started to get in to meet a lot of people and, and stuff in the tennis arena there in Florida, which is, as I told you, where tennis belongs. And from then on, never tried to go back to Barbies. I knew that for me to make it, I had to, to change my mindset and stuff to, to be over here and to, for me to improve. Now, did your parents move with you or did they just sent you with Chris? Uh, they just sent me. They were like, you know, you need to go. And kind of said, they didn't know anything about tennis. <laughs> Luckily, I had a brother that understood what was going on, obviously speaking to people and that kind of stuff um, really helped. And he kind of grasped it and it was like, for you to, to achieve anything, you have to get out of Barbados and that kind of stuff. So as I say, a lot of people to shout out to. I find that that's so common with parents just take, you know, if somebody whispers in the ear, the kid got talent and they just send them. I remember the first time my parents sent me out of town to stay with a dude who was named Tony Wamadu in Memphis. And I was 11 years old and they sent me on the Greyhound bus by myself. And like, you know, that Greyhound be stopping in like cities. It's not like a direct <laughs> shot. You know, 11 year old on the Greyhound with, you know, people smoking cigarettes on the bus and, you know. Greyhounds and stuff tough. Hey, people on drugs and stuff. They sitting there <laughs> sleeping, all kind of stuff. And we stopping in like little podunk towns. I'm like, yo, you gonna put me on this bus? I'm like, y'all wanna call them and meet them? Y'all wanna come with me? And like, nah, you good. Let us know when you get there. I'm like, damn, you know, that, that. So, but that's so common with parents just say, hey, he got talent, we're going to send him to you. Yeah, you know, good okay, luck. Yeah, sacrifices and stuff, obviously, your parents and stuff had to put through to, for you to be rich where you are now. I mean, is you never know I'm older, and now looking back, I'm like, geez, like, it's, yeah, it's a crazy journey. So you've been in, well, first of all, everybody I talk to, I'll talk about anybody outside of 100 that's like a super talent, right, or most underrated player, and everybody be like, Darian King. Like, literally everybody from people who are 40 in the world, so whatever, it's always DK. So you've played every slam, you've been top 100 in the world, like in and out of top 100. What do you think you need to do? Or what, at what point in your career did you like need a little, where you were felt like you were on the cusp and maybe it let it slip, whether it slipped with an injury or a scheduling or whatever? Yeah, I mean, at that point, I would say I was more organized and a structure, I had a structure. Uh, not running, going back home because, you know, you miss your family and stuff, which is, I guess, a lot of tennis players and stuff go through. You're missing your family, missing your friends. You have to change your environment and stuff. But that, those few years that I was hovering and stuff around 100 and stuff, I was like, Darren, you have to lock down and you have to focus. If you want to really achieve, you have to really, you know what I mean, be there and stop running home and doing that stuff, change your mindset. And... Yeah, I just think I was more structured, more organized in my practices. I had one not jumping from here to different academies, and then you're hearing different stuff from coaches. 
And as I, I'm sure a lot of tennis players would say, uh, knowing yourself, knowing your game. Um, I think that I'm not the biggest player on tour, the strongest or what's not. I just try to, you know what I mean, massage and be tactical. And, and obviously you have to think out there. And I just try to use my speed and stuff to the best of my ability. And, I've, and easier when you have coaches that understand your game instead of trying to change a lot and then you're getting more flustered. You go through all this stuff, frustration and stuff builds up. And as I say, knowing yourself and I was more structured and stuff, I think, give me that big boost and confidence. So, so far, every time I stepped on the court, uh, it made it easier for me in matches. So all the hard work I was putting in off court made it easier for me in matches and just trying to execute game plans. So you keep talking about knowing yourself. When I think about a lot of tennis players, they got no idea who they are as a tennis player, who they are as a person. When people describe you, they can never really put their finger on it, but they know you give them a fit. So, so how would you describe yourself as a player? What do you think your strength is and your weapon is that makes you so deceptive but so dangerous? Speed and calmness and just being calm. Um, play every point the same way. Uh, you might not, it might look like I'm out there, oh, this guy doesn't care or what's not, but I'm telling you. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's just, you know what I mean, the genes and stuff, but I'm out there actually putting in 110%, like trying to win every point and yeah, with my speed and as being crafty and obviously changing up my game style, meaning depending on the opponent and stuff, um, game plans and stuff. I mean, that's what really win matches. Uh, everyone can hit the ball technically and that kind of stuff is thinking on court, finding a way, of course, when you're down and being frustrating, finding ways to dig yourself out of those holes and stuff. Um, I think I was really good at that. Um, but yeah, I would just say speed. As I say, I'm not the strongest. And I don't have a big serve like Ulysses and these guys, but I just try to find a way to win the points. And <laughs> I think that's my biggest strength. Finding ways, I think, uh, yeah. So you've, you know, because you've gotten into slams, you've maybe gotten in without a seed, you have the opportunity to play against a lot of seeds and a lot of top players. If you could put together the perfect player, right, stroke by stroke. So we'll start with the serve. Best serve on tour, first and second, because we know people be getting the yips, right? We have some of the yips <laughs> on the second, yes. right? So first serve, you could take the first serve. I would go John Isner, obviously. John Isner on the first. What about the second? Riley. Mm. Big kick. <laughs> Big kick serve Riley have. <laughs> Unreal. All right, what about uh, forehand? Fernando Gonzalez. Yeah, I went back Asian for you guys. Yeah, I went all time for you guys. Yeah, Gonzalez on the real forehand. You know, you, you see this guy's forehand, your eyes light up. So it's, yeah, for sure, Fernando Gonzalez. All right, backhand. Tricky one. I, I think I have two Djokovic or Medvedev, but obviously Medvedev is not the tennis stroke that the, the normal coaches teach, but Kai doesn't miss a backhand. So I would go, I would go Medvedev. Although the unusual technique, but the guy doesn't miss backhand. It's very solid. IQ. Tennis IQ. No, Novak, Joker. Guy understands the court like he read it, write it out. I don't know. The guy, he knows where to be. He knows where to put the ball, where the ball is going to come. Yeah, easily. Speed, other than yourself. Monfils. Good one. I'm acing this. I know. I got, I got you like guys really good. <laughs> I got you guys good here, bro. All right. Best player outside the top 100. And you, you, you're a disadvantage because everybody always says you. So now you can't say yourself. 
Man, it's crazy. You have all these youngsters now coming up. For me, I feel like a veteran. I'm outside the top 100. Boy. See, you was talking all that shit. Now I got you. Nah, yeah, now I got nah, you stumped. Yeah, now crazy. I got you stumped. Because now it's changing. Like, all these youngsters coming up and so talented. And They're not staying in 100 for long. They're yeah. like, boom, 100 yeah. and boom, 60. Yeah, like the Tommy Paul. Like, when I was coming up, it was Tommy Paul, Francis, all these guys. Are, but now I can't. These guys are in 30 in the world and 20, so I can't even mention these guys. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Stop. Uh, I would just have to go with, with friends now then. Um, Mike Mo. Uh, Mike Mo. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Talented dude. Um, so in addition to being obviously a, a, a veteran on the men's side, you've had a lot of time to watch a lot of women's tennis. We and you watch several matches side by side. What do you think the biggest difference is between men's tennis and women's tennis? I would go with emotions. Handling emotions, again, guys handle it way better. Uh, they can level out their concentration levels and stuff. I think for ladies, um, it's erratic. It goes all over the place. And yeah, emotions being in, staying in the moment, not getting too high, not dropping your intensity too low. Um, I've seen it for sure in the ladies that just one point or stuff can change a whole match, just like that. So yeah, I would go with emotions easily. That's good. Well, this has been the Tennis.com podcast. We're here with the Bayesian legend, Darian King, my homie. I appreciate you for coming on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate Thank you, brother. it. And last but not least, we sit down with Ulysses Blanche, a dude that I personally thought was from New York City until I sat down and got to know his story. One of the biggest serves on tour. I mean, you know, you at the practice court and you just hear a cannon, you look around and say, whose racket did that ball come out of? Uh, and it's Ulysses Blanche, uh, one of the great American up-and-comers, uh, originally from Florida via Puerto Rico. Um, and we sit down and get to know him, get to know his story, his journey, and honestly, some things that we here in U.S. can do better to support people in his position, that 100 to 200 range. Let's take a listen and see if we can all learn something about Ulysses. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are with a growing, growing superstar in American tennis. Uh, always mistaken of being from New York, not from New York, from South Florida, Ulysses Blant. Welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for having me. So, you know, I, five different people have told me over the years, oh, he's from New York. And I'm like, dude's not from New York. He's like, no, he's definitely from New York. And I'm like, the dude is not from New York. So tell me how that rumor got started. I mean, I think it's because I played for New York a couple years. Uh, I played, my first team tennis was like two years ago. I played for them the whole season and then been helping them out like last year and I mean I get along with everyone on the team so I think it's because of that I don't know <laughs> I really don't know because I've never spent over like a week there so. <laughs> all right so you're not paying New York City taxes are you? no <laughs> no no <laughs> um, but I think also like your, your runs or like your your success in the states you've had always got the wild card to the U.S. Open mm -hmm. you know had great matches in the first round of the U.S. Open I think that also contributes the way the crowd sort of pseudo adopts you 
yeah, as a New Yorker is. too. I mean, I've seen your matches on Court Six and Seven. And like, oh, who's playing on Court Seven? It's like, yeah. this is Lisa Blanche. Yeah, yeah, I like playing. I mean, who doesn't like playing in New York? I mean, it's a joke. Yeah. The people and all that is great. Yeah. So, we talk about like people who are yeah, right now. You're 23, mm-hmm. right? And you are, you know, hovering, trying to get in the top 100 and remain in the top 100. Who's the person that's between 100 and 200? That's probably the most talented person out there that people may not know besides yourself. Ah, <laughs> uh, from anywhere? Anywhere. 100, 200. Darren King. DK, living legend. Living legend. Living is a veteran, you know, he's been around for a while and um, yeah, it's too, too easy. It's too easy when he's on court, the stuff he does, that's whatever he wants, you know. And he says it too. too yeah, easy. he says too, it. Too easy, boy. Too yeah, it's too boy. easy, too easy. Yeah, too easy. <laughs> but he's got that, he's got that island feel where yeah. it's like, he's like, never seems like he's running real fast, but he back there like, he's he back looks like he's chilling. Feet. Like I played him, played him a couple years back in Tiburon, I think, or something. And I was out there running side to side, you know, trying to win the points. The guy was just touching me around the court. <laughs> too easy, too easy. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. um, because I think a lot of players, like you look at someone who's 23 years old, been on the tour, what, five years now? Uh, yeah, sort of, I guess, yeah. And you wonder, like, you know, at what point did you decide and what was the trigger that said, you know what, I'm going to go pro, I'm not going to go to college? Um, I think for me, in my case, it was more of a growing up thing. I think it was just like, the environment I grew up in with my dad and all that and the way I would train since I was young, it was always on going pro. Um, my family's not really, this is not American, so they don't really have the college, you know, culture or the, you know, the customs I think that, you know, people have here in the States. So for us, it was always, I was going to go pro. I didn't really think about college at any moment, actually. Really? Yeah. So was your dad your coach? No, but he was very present all the time, you know, always on me and all that, but no, he wasn't with my coach. Like a typical tennis dad. Yeah, typical tennis dad. Always back there picking yeah. up balls, telling the coach, when you do more open stand, when you do it, I was like, bro. Telling like, everyone, me too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is that where your, your love for the game came from, or is that who introduced you and sort of pushed you? Yeah, he's definitely the one that put me into tennis, because um, I used to do other sports too, soccer and all that, but um, he put me in tennis, and then I think after, like, three, four years of doing a bunch of sports. Uh, he wanted me to be a little more serious about it. And obviously, like, I was taking it more of a job thing more than the other sports, which was for fun. And for me, I already, like, kind of understood what I had to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I loved it. So, so it was easy for me, yeah. Now, most people don't know, but you're actually from Puerto Rico. Yeah, I was born there. Um, and then you sort of moved to South Florida and then, like, the tennis hub and tennis. Yeah, I mean, I never actually moved to South Florida. Um, I was born in Puerto Rico, but then I went to Seattle when I was young, and then we, when I was really young, and then we kind of just went to Asia. So I grew up in Asia, um, and then South Florida I would always come to to practice because obviously, you know, the tennis situation there wasn't the best. So whenever I would have holidays from school, I would go to South Florida. So most of the time I spent in the States, kind of growing up was in South Florida, yeah. So you kind of get that Canadian thing. You see a lot of Canadian players that, yeah, that are actually from somewhere yeah, else, yeah, yeah. Canada. so you are from Puerto Rico by way of Asia yeah. and now Florida. By way of everywhere, yeah. So did you ever consider playing uh, Davis Cup for either of those countries? No. No? No, never. No, it didn't really cross my mind either. Um, I mean, I grew up I grew up in an American school, even though it was over there. So all my friends, I mean, were American. And I mean, I guess I never really lived here, but everything was whatever, NBA and, and tennis and golf and football and all this. And 
Yeah, I mean, I always felt American, so no doubts. So when I think of you as a player, I, everyone I was talking about, biggest serve, one of the biggest serves on tour, definitely sort of one of the most you know, underrated players, um, and sort of once he rounds out his games to sort of you know, add to his serve, he'll be like you know, a serious threat on tour. What right now are you working on to sort of complement that? Um, I think right now, I think the main focus is kind of giving myself the right environment. Um, because, you know, tennis is a single sport. I mean, you're alone on, out there, but I do think that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that, you know, contributes to your game and all that. So I think it's putting myself in the right environment um, year out and then um, trying to develop physically as well. So, yeah. So you've had the opportunity to play in every Grand Slam. Yeah. So which is your favorite and why? Uh, New York. New York's my favorite and because of the people. I think it's just the city. Itself, I think the you know the times that you're not at the tennis court, you're kind of in the city, and I think that influences a little bit as well. And it's just New York's New York, you know. And then when you step on the court and the people and just being at home, I think it's just it's different. Even though I mean, slam's a slam, I think New York's just different for me. Yeah. So then, when you think about sort of the global nature of the game, it takes you to all different stops on the tour. Yeah. What's your favorite or the most memorable? city it's not a grand slam not like something like rome madrid something that's like a you know a premier five or anything like that oh um i mean this year this year i went to south africa um kind of off the top of my head because i'd never been really to africa to play and going to south africa and you know it was really different and i think it was a cool experience even though it was you know in the pandemic and all that but uh, yeah, I mean, I think South Africa could be one. So who's your best friend on tour? Like sort of when I think of like the men's tour, whether it's like pseudo or <laughs> whether it's legit, I feel like the top 25 are cool with the top 25, right? Yeah. And then you get people who are like, you know, 26 to 75 kind of together, and you get the guys that are like 100 to 200 that like grind it out going yeah, from, yeah, yeah. you know, 125 to 125 and all that kind of thing. Who's like the dude that you travel the most with or your best friend on tour? Um, well, I think the first guys are the guys in Orlando because uh, I've been training in Orlando for a while. So, I mean, I see the guys every day and I think, you know, Patrick Kipson, uh, Vasil Kirkov, and I train with Bjorn. We have the same coach for Tangelo. Um, I get along with them really well, obviously, because I see them every day, Mackie as well. Um, and then a lot of the South Americans, because I grew up in South America later on, and um, a lot of them I've known since I was 12, you know, and we kind of grew up together. So, um, yeah, I'd say a couple guys from Argentina, yeah. So when you think about, like, that life, right, traveling, trying to get points so you can get 106 in the world yeah. with direct entry into the slams, um, a lot of people don't see that part of it, right? They see the slams, they see everybody posting on Instagram, yeah. they come in the airport, and, hey, we arrived in Madrid and Rome. But there's a whole nother sort of tour, yeah. right? And, uh, and, and those people are, like, so committed, uh, not taking it for granted, wanting it so bad. Tell me what you think the biggest challenge is for someone that's, like, hovering around 100 but trying to, like, really get uh, have a stable place in top 100. Um, the difference in the mentality and the commitment level and just the value of being... I think, I think um, in, a, in a way, I feel like the sport... You kind of, I mean, I think a lot of people have the feeling that the sport hasn't kind of given back too much. Because once you're kind of top 100 and stuff, you're making a lot of money. You know, you're traveling to nicer places, the tournaments are nicer, they treat you better and all that. 
So in a way, because of all of your effort and everything you do, you're getting something back, you know, whatever it is, money or fame or whatever it is. Uh, I think one of the tougher things when you're out there is that, out of that area is that you're not really getting too much back because you're not making a lot of money and whatever, you're grinding cues of slams and you're playing challengers and all that. And I feel like sometimes, I don't know, I think you kind of get, some people I think kind of get lost in that and kind of just, I don't know, maybe lose focus or they kind of just don't enjoy it the same anymore. And I think that one of the toughest things is to, you know, keep trying to keep trying to rise and keep trying to get better instead of just kind of, you know, the motivation or the happiness kind of leaving you when you're when you're there because it's tough. It is until you get you know to that point. So I think. And you talked about like trying to get better and practice everything. So like you know, I was here doing a clinic and I was just so the biggest difference that I see between like a good junior player and a professional is them knowing how to practice. Yeah. Right. Knowing how you know not to be on the court for two and a half three hours because you can just injure yourself and you're not focused anyway that long. Uh, or knowing how to sort of structure a practice. If you could talk to somebody who was, let's say, 250 to 300, right, and actually had the potential to do it, what, what advice would you give them to sort of bridge themselves from 250 to 106? Um, I, think, I think finding the way that you have to work, like yourself. I think that everyone has a different way and everyone's a different, you know, player and personality and all that. But I feel like the top guys, I feel like they know themselves very well. And I think that the biggest thing is knowing what you need, the way you need to play, the way you need to train, the way you need to take things. And I feel like the more you know yourself, the better than you can you know, do things for your tennis and all that. I think that, um, yeah, just learning your, about yourself is the best way. So I got a phone call right now from a federation that's like sort of retooling you know, their player development, sort of their structure on how they support players at different levels. What do you think, like, as a, as a country? You know, because I'm, you know, from what I do, I always try to look at the next wave, especially minority players. How do we help them? They got the talent, got the skill set. Honestly, are poised well to compete with the quality of athletes that come from across the pond, mm -hmm. right? But we need to do more for them. Um, what do you think, from a federation standpoint, we could do for the players that are 100 to 200? to try to stabilize their careers and sort of put some gas in their tank? Uh, I think for one is opportunity. So number of tournaments you play, I feel like that's huge. Um, the amount of tournaments that there are, I know there's been a pandemic and stuff, but if you compare the t amount of tournaments that we kind of have here compared to Europe or specifically like Italy, even this year, South America and all that, I feel like opportunity is huge. Cause yeah, I mean, you have U.S. Open, you have, you know, Miami Indian Walls and stuff, but not a lot of players get to play that. I feel like the opportunity from the bottom is extremely important in how many players filter through. Um, I feel like that's huge. I mean, this year we've barely had any tournaments until later in the year, and we've only had, let's say, I don't know how many challengers we've had, but we've had maybe eight challengers or ten challengers. I'm not sure, something like that. And... I mean, in Europe, they have 10 challengers in three weeks, you know what I mean, or in two weeks. And I don't know, it's just different. I mean, South America now has had three months in a row of tournaments, and I just feel like that's, that's important because if you have this, the people in the same country playing the same tournaments in the same conditions and they have opportunities week in and week out, I think that changes everything. Right, so, like, get points and travel affordably and not yeah, always have exactly. to travel abroad. And playing in kind of the conditions that you're used to because – 
you know, for us, we have to go to Europe and we have to fly a long way and all that, but then we have to play on clay against people who play on clay all year. And that's just an example, but like, I feel like opportunity here, yeah, is huge. No, that's good. I mean, because one, one of my thoughts is some of the revenue from some of our slams or bigger events yeah. could be trickled down to, to fund hundreds, right, or yeah. 25, so that the next wave of players can sort of build the ranking up so we can just have more representation I think at so. the slams. You I, know? Think so. I think so. so. But I think, man, that was a perfect suggestion, but I think, uh, and I think now I think we're seeing they're more open to, to that, and you know, hopefully they listen to this. And hopefully. That was a good idea. Uh, hopefully. Well, man, I appreciate you coming. Always, you know, every time you play team tennis, I'm not watching the match. I hear that boom. I'm like, okay, that's Ulysses. <laughs> he, down, he down there dropping bombs, right? Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you do what you can do, you know. Yeah, right. I do my best. Right now, you can serve. So that's I, all I do. <laughs> that's all I can do. I, I appreciate you, brother, coming on, and I root for you, and wish you luck, and always watching out for you, watching your stats, and uh, you know, cheering you on. So, man, appreciate, appreciate you coming. Thank you, thank, thank you, brother.